You're listening to PTC Point of View, brought to you by Preferred Trust Company, the preferred custodian for all alternative investments. We're here to provide retirement savers like you with the tools you need to succeed. Need a confidence boost when it comes to investing outside of the stock market? Do you want the power to build a tax-sheltered nest egg that will last through your golden years? You've come to the right place. Turn up your speakers and turn off cruise control because we're taking you on the alternate route to investing with your IRA. We are welcomed by having Guy Baker with us, and he is with Wealth Teams Alliance. And Guy, I just want to start by, tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? Uh, where are you located? What does your company do? So uh, we're in Irvine, California, which is halfway between Los Angeles and San Diego, for those that aren't familiar with California. And, um, you know, we're we, we're kind of a multidisciplinary business. We do uh, estate planning, business succession planning, retirement planning. We manage assets. We sell life insurance. We do annuities, you know, whatever is necessary to help a client achieve their goals and objectives. Uh, I started in the business out of college, so I've never done anything else. I'm, I think I'm in my 58th year. So, uh, you know, we've got a wonderful team around us. A lot of them have been with me 35, 40 years, uh, but we're also bringing in new people because some of them are retiring. So Yeah. But, uh, not you, know, you though. Not, yeah, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> my my uh, wife told me that, uh, you know, that she married me for better or worse, but not for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so I have so to get true. lunch at the office. <laughs> So true. I just did that myself. I, I was in the break room. They said, oh my gosh, she's eating lunch. I'm like, yep, I've got 10 minutes before I go on a podcast. So um, we do what we have to do though, right? Why it's did you start point. the business? I'm sorry, when? Why? Oh, uh, well, so we have multiple businesses. So I, mm -hmm. I started selling life insurance when I was in college. And when I graduated from graduate school, uh, found that I was making more money part-time selling life insurance than they were offering me as a full-time job with an MBA. So I decided I would give the career a chance and, uh, you know, ended up being, uh, you know, successful beyond my imagination. And uh, I got securities license and wanted to do management for mo of money for our clients. But I mean, frankly, I couldn't find anything I really felt comfortable doing. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think there was very good training and it just seemed like it was, uh, you know, a, a trip to Las Vegas. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's OK. That's OK. Yeah, I made the decision to just set aside the investment side and left that alone. And then in 1992, I got introduced to a methodology that was based on uh, what is now six Nobel Prizes. And I, you know, I loved it. I just thought it was a great methodology. So I formed an RIA uh, immediately and adopted that methodology. And we've been doing that ever since. So that's, uh, you know, 30 plus years later. Yeah, you've definitely been a mentor in the field. I know we have worked with other um, RIAs and they all speak very, very highly of you. Um, you just mentioned MBA, but you went back to school after that as well. Did you not? 
Yeah, I have two other master's degrees and a PhD, and then you know most of the professional certifications. So I just, yeah, you know, education yeah, he, junkie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to to see his signature is to to try to um, navigate through all the acronyms that are there. So, um, but definitely, definitely somebody in the industry that is uh, highly uh, looked upon um, and and reviewed very very well. So we are. We're delighted to have you here today. Let's talk well, a little bit about yeah, testimony to not making a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is, isn't it? But yeah, really. no, we 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 truly are honored to have you uh, on our podcast today. <clears throat> Give me a little bit of of background as it pertains to um, you know being an RIA has a lot of it has a lot of responsibility. Um, I know some will say, "Oh, when you go to an RIA, now all of a sudden you have less responsibility to a client." And you know, I think we all know that that is not the case. Um, so, give me some sort of idea. Anybody, I don't know why anybody would say that. I well, I don't know. Maybe they think that there's less regulation around it, but there isn't. Um, maybe you know you, you hear that all the time, but I want to kind of dispel that. Um, a little bit um, in that regard, as far as working with clients and and um, determining a portfolio allocation that's appropriate for them um, and and where they're at in life, you know, how how do you guys assess some of those those qualities? Well, you know, I think one of the things that sets an RIA apart from anybody else in the financial services industry is is they're a fiduciary. Mm-hmm. As a fiduciary, you know, we have to take the responsibility. Uh, that we have to our clients extremely seriously. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I had a series seven from 1970. I've been with a broker dealer and I know the, you know, tremendous amount of C, you know, continuing education and oversight that broker dealers bring to, uh, you know, the industry, but it's not a fiduciary. Yeah. You know, you, that's a, that's a commissioned product. You know, mm-hmm. with the RIA, we're we're fees. The client pays us for providing them with service. We don't get paid anything from vendors, mm-hmm. and so as a result of that, um, you know, we, you know, not only do we have a moral responsibility to take care of our clients, but but having the fiduciary responsibility, you know, we're legally accountable for whatever recommendations we make. Whereas if you're on commission, you know, you can yeah. kind of blow that off. So I. Yeah. Why anybody would say that uh, the RIA is a much less stringent uh, relationship with the client? I think they don't understand the difference. Mm-hmm. I think but, I under I think I understand why they say it. You know why, why? I think they say it? Why? I think they say that because you're you're taking in their eyes, you're taking from their pocket by allowing clients to diversify their portfolio outside your traditional stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, um, and opening up the horizon to other product. Um, other opportunities. Have you heard that? No, but I, I can understand why you say that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think, you know, a lot would depend on the uh, investment philosophy mm-hmm. of uh, the RIA and, mm-hmm. the, and the markets that they are uh, aimed at. You know, yeah. if, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, extremely wealthy clients who want private equity and want you know, alternatives that go beyond ETFs and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe what you would do with gold or something, um, you know, the, you can probably get wild and crazy with an RIA, but, you know, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. So agree. I mean, 
I mean, there may be, you know, with a broker dealer, you've got to get by their compliance department with an RIA. You are the compliance department, but that does not mitigate in any way, shape or form the fiduciary responsibility. Yeah. I appreciate you stating that. I mean, I obviously can't state that because I'm not an RIA, Uh, but when I hear things like that, you know, it's, um, Frustrating. <laughs> it's very frustrating because mm-hmm. I actually think you're taking on a greater degree of responsibility, as you just mentioned. Um, you know, you 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 don't have the buffer anymore. You you are the front line. Um yeah. and you're so the one that takes the bullet. <laughs> that's right. That's absolutely right. What are your thoughts on um alternatives? You know, obviously you are on the PTC point of view and preferred trust company focuses on holding custody of alternative assets. What is what is your opinion of alternative assets and what percentage of that should be in a person's portfolio and and why why is that something of interest to you? So alternatives have a lot of different classifications. Uh, you know, the alternatives that I've been most interested in is uh, in the real estate world, you mm-hmm. know, both equity as well as debt. Mm-hmm. And then in the debt world, uh, you know, corporate bonds uh, because you know the banks aren't able to do everything that some corporations need and they need private money so there's a tremendous opportunity for additional yield there for clients mm-hmm. so you know i mean my philosophy has been that in our in our organization uh, that we have the equity component which is that methodology that i mentioned that i learned way back in the 90s Mm-hmm. And then there's the fixed component, the, the you know the fixed income, and of course, you know we've believed for many many years that low risk, low volatility, uh, which means low yield, yeah. uh, is a great way to protect the portfolio long run. But mm-hmm. when you've had this these sagging equity returns, uh, mm-hmm. you have sagging uh, fixed income returns, and all of a sudden you know, your portfolio is performing a lot less robustly than it did for many, many years. Yeah. So adding an alternative that brings a, a an element of, uh, you know, of, I, you know, I guess risk, but also a higher return makes all sorts of sense. So that's why we've gravitated towards uh, the mortgage side of it, which is what Ignite does so well. Mm-hmm. And gives us an opportunity to give a really good additional return to the fixed portfolio. Gotcha. And is Ignite funding the way that you stumbled across the preferred trust component? Um, did were you already working with a custodian? Were you looking for a custodian that would hold the alternative assets? Talk to me a little bit about how that all happened. Well, actually. You know, it's pretty uh, easy to to find why uh, preferred trust is so important is because if you have qualified money and non-qualified money, uh, the non-qualified money you can do direct with Ignite, but the qualified money has to go through a custodian. Mm-hmm. And the only custodians that will allow that are self-directed custodians. So... Uh, the fact that preferred trust is tied with Ignite made it much easier for us from an administration point of view and from the standpoint of, you know, being able to coordinate with Ignite and to get the program, you know, working effectively for our clients. Uh, you know, we've had exposure to other 
self-directed uh, custodians and you know there's some wonderful ones out there but mm-hmm. uh, you know you got to get ignite approved and then yeah. you know you've got to set up the connections whereas preferred trust it's already taken care of it's all there it's all done it's uh, seamless and uh, you know the team works really well with us so you know, we love preferred trust well good i i appreciate that we try really hard to make it as seamless as a, as a process as possible, not only for the RIA, but for the client themselves. I know many times um, as the RIA, the, IR, the RIA has um, sometimes limited power of attorney to act on behalf of the clients. Um, I, I know it's not every situation, but many situations it is like that. Can you explain a little bit as to why the RIA takes that type of approach? So the, I mean, the basic, uh, construction of the relationship is that uh, as the RIA, we're managing the portfolio. And if we're going to take the fiduciary responsibility, we want to be able to pull the trigger on whatever you know decisions we're making from an investment point of view. So if we left the decision as to which mortgages uh, the client was going to go into f- to them, w- we wouldn't really have much of a role and if we were their uh, fiduciary, we would be taking on a fiduciary risk without any ability to be able to, you know, do the job for the client that needs to be done. So, yeah. uh, the power of attorney gives us <clears throat> the privilege then of being able to pick the right loans. Understood. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like you know your financial advisor. I mean, yes, granted, when there are investments that are being made, they reach out to you. But the reality is, is most of us don't spend the time to understand the investment to that level of detail of understanding that you would, um, and the oversight that you're going to take on that investment. And so, um, allowing that fiduciary to have the responsibility to do that is is key um, to the to the whole piece of the puzzle. Um, to planning, you know, a, a portfolio that is um, adequate to to you as a human being, where you're at, where you're at in life, how old are you, how young yeah. are you, uh, what level of risk are you willing to take, et cetera. So keeping all of that in mind, obviously, um, that, that does give you the power um, to facilitate what their strategy was that I'm sure you talk to your clients periodically throughout the year. Um, being a client, what what does that what does that entail? What does that mean? If we have listeners that are out there that are like, wait a second, you know, this is somebody that could help me um, choose these alternative assets that could help me look at my entire portfolio that understands the insurance side. I mean, you mentioned so many different things that your firm does. Um, you know, what what does what does it look like from a client's perspective if they wanted to work with you? Where would they start? So there are three questions that we've found when it comes to helping clients think about their money that they really don't have, you know, they're not skilled in answering. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't know why exactly. Maybe it's uh, fear of math. They don't want to deal with it, whatever it is. <laughs> but the three questions are, you know, what's my number? I mean, how mm-hmm. much capital do you need to have at retirement to, to produce a retirement income? that's going to be insulated from uh, volatility and inflation and mm-hmm. longevity. I mean, those are the, and then you got the long-term care medical yeah. side as well, yeah. okay. but, but they don't know what their number is. And mm-hmm. uh, if, if you look at some of the studies that have been done on that, and there are a number of them out there, 
uh, you know, they underestimate how much they need at retirement by uh, 60, 70% in some cases, maybe even more. So that's one question. So the second question is, how much more do I need to save? So, you know, I've already got this uh, asset base that I've put together. What can I expect that to grow to? And how big of a percentage of that is that going to be of my ultimate number? And if I have a pension, what's that going to do? To, you know, so mm-hmm. there's there are a lot of factors that somebody has yeah. to take into consideration. And then, so then once you know what your assets are going to do and how they're going to play into your ultimate objective, then how much more do I need to save and where is the best place to save it? You mm-hmm. know, do I want to do an IRA? Do I want to do a Roth? Do I have a 403B? Do I have a 401k? Yeah. You know, all of those types of things. And, you know, I mean, truthfully, my experience has been most people don't want to think about this stuff. Yeah. They don't want to be bothered with it but they know it's important and they want to find somebody they can trust that will help them walk through it with them, set it up, and then they can put it on automatic. And so yeah. I think, so So those are the two big questions. The third question is probably the most important one though. And that is, how do I invest this money with the highest probability of being able <laughs> to you know, manage yeah. the, the currents of risk so mm-hmm. that I'm going to achieve my objective when I when I reach age 70 or 65. And when I reach there, how do I take Social Security? Do I take it early? Do I take it late? Uh, you know, what about my spouse? Uh, you know, how do I set up my my will, my trust? I mean, there's just so yeah. many things here that overwhelm a lot of people. And, you know, for those that aren't overwhelmed, you probably don't need us. Yeah. <laughs> the vast yeah. majority of the people that we are. Need are mm-hmm. overwhelmed and they just want to delegate it and have somebody they can trust to take care of it. And is is there an age where it's it's too late to start? You know, that's really a great question. And um you know what what's happening to me uh and of course, you know, since I've been in the business 58 years, you only mm-hmm. have to add 20 to that to get an idea how old I am, right? <laughs> I'm getting a lot of of 18-year-olds and 20-year-olds and I'm getting parents saying, "Would you teach my children about money?" And yeah. I wrote a book early in my career called Baker's Dozen: 13 Principles for Financial Independence. And I've had people say, why isn't this in schools? <laughs> you know? yeah. We used to have home economics, you know, and yep. you know, you know, the budget and how to buy a house and how to lease a car and mm-hmm. or buy a car, you know, all that type of stuff. Yeah. Mean, where did they get that information now? And so this book walks them through 13 principles that they need to understand and be able to uh, implement into their lives, whether they use a planner, you know, a financial advisor or not. Yeah. So anyway, the answer to your question on age range, yeah, you know, if you really start thinking about this and planning this when you're 55 or 60, it may be too late. Okay. So, you know, uh, I I love to talk about compound interest and the rule of 72. And, you know, people come to me and they'll say, my son wants to pay cash for a car. And they're, you know, they're like 19 years old or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, do they really want to spend $350,000 on a car? Mm -hmm. What do you mean? And I say, well, you know, it's going to cost. (laughs) They've got $12,000 today or $15,000 today. Multiply that on the chain of compound interest out to the age 70. It's $350,000 they're spending on that car. 
You know, yeah. is it really wise to pay cash? Yeah. Those types of things. It, yeah. You and I are very similar. Yeah. You and I are very similar in our approach to the, to the younger generation. Um, I, I have a, a spiel that I do. It has to do with Starbucks. And I'm not throwing Starbucks under the bus here, like, right? We all love our coffee and our teas and whatever the case may be. But there's some reality in, you know, not not spending. And I I try to take the layman's terms on this uh, guy. On uh, I say to them, imagine for one year, for one year, you do not go through the Starbucks drive-thru or walk in the door. And you take that money and you set it aside for just one year. I'm not asking you to do it for the rest of your life, just yeah. one year. And then I want you to take that and I want you to make it and I show them how much it would cost if every day they went to Starbucks twice a day, which is typically what's happening. And I show them that that is a one year contribution to a Roth IRA. Yeah. So I take it a step further to say, you know, because again, rolling back 30, 40 years, we didn't have this Roth IRA option. And so now let's put it into that option where you're never going to pay taxes on it again. And now let's start that comp- that compounding factor issue. And so yeah. I run them through the rule of 72 just off of that small amount of money. <laughs> no, that's great. I, I'm, I don't think I've ever had anybody tell me uh, yep. that quite that way before. I love it. <laughs> that, that's what I do with them. You know why? It's relatable. It's so yeah. relatable to them. And most of the time when I give this spiel, they've walked in with their Starbucks cup. So it's super easy to start down that path because half of them are going to walk in with their Starbucks and they're, yeah. you know, not even well, thinking about the fact that they just spent $10 on that. Yeah, uh, I would never relate to that because I don't drink coffee. I don't either. I've never had a cup in my life. That's why I love it. I, know, I, love, <laughs> I love to bring that up because it's like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's the simple things um, to, to show our well, younger generation. Add the coffee to the cigarettes. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you yeah. know, that's probably at retirement, uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of four or 5,000 a month of income. Yeah. It's, it's insane. It really is. All right. And then I'll end, I'll end on this note. Um, economy, right. I'm, I'm sure it's been, um, it's been an interesting couple of years for you and your clients and navigating um, what, what we have all been experiencing can you kind of give me, um, and maybe I'm going to ask two questions. Can you kind of give me what it's been like the last couple of years and navigating um, the environment that we've been in? One of the most important things that I adopted when we started the RIA was education, was teaching people how the markets really work. Mm-hmm. And what I what we learned was that most people really didn't understand the, the the impact of volatility and risk on a portfolio over a period of time, and they were operating, you know, in a fear vacuum, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, that that was almost unmanageable. And so, by teaching them how the markets work and how we handle and manage risk in the market, we were able to bring to them, you know, some stability. And uh, you know, Warren Buffett uh, was you know, ask the question of, you know, how to be successful investing. All right. And he said, there were only two things you really needed to do. He said, you didn't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. You didn't have to have all this business acumen to be successful. You didn't have to cheat, get Mm -hmm. insider information. He said, there were only two things. One was you had to have a sound uh, intellectual framework on which to base your investment decisions. And there are a lot of different 
intellectual frameworks out there. Sure. I just happened to like the one we use the best. Okay. And then the second thing, which was more important, was to build, you know, guardrails around your, your intellectual framework so that your emotions wouldn't destroy it when the market went crazy. Okay? Yeah. Yep. So those are the two things we bring our clients. We bring them a sound intellectual framework and we bring them, you know, the peace of mind that this yeah. framework is going to hold up no matter how chaotic the market gets. That's great. I mean, that that's how that's how every investment sponsor, RIA, et cetera, should enter into a conversation because the reality is, is there is risk in everything. It doesn't matter what it is. There's, there's risk everywhere. Um, but the patients don't, don't be reactive. Um, you know, I've read so many things about what happens if you, you, you do, uh, pull the trigger and are reactive and, and pull out of a, a market that's bad, uh, when it's bad and you don't stay in versus when you stay in. Wow. Well, have mean, you ever heard of uh, Dalbar? Oh, yeah. 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 So, you know, Dalbar has done a, a study on this over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you could talk about methodology and whether their methodology is the right one yeah. or whatever, whatever. But, you know, their conclusion was that the average investor will lose anywhere between 60 and 75 percent of their return compared to the market because they'll jump in and jump out. That's right. Yeah. So, it's astonishing. It's astonishing. It astonishing. It and it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to see, you know, the numbers uh, deteriorate. Um, but it's even harder when you read that afterwards and you're like, and I'm the, you know, and I'm the one that gets out. What was I thinking? So I love the philosophy. I like, I like how you work with your clients um, on the onset to make sure that, you know, you're creating an even playing field for everybody to understand exactly what's going to happen. Because it's not a matter of, you know, uh, if, it's just a matter of when. And it's it will, you know, it'll continue to cycle. There will continue to be issues um, that arise. And and you the only way you can really overcome them is to, you know, steadfast, be steadfast mm -hmm. in, in, in what your intent was to begin with uh, when you sat down with them. So, so I'll tell you something that I've learned, you know, having been doing this now for over 30 years, is there's really two types of investors. There's the right brain and the left brain. Okay. okay now that, you know, there, there can be a blend in there. Sure. For sure. But, but for the most part, people are either very right brained or very left brain. You know, the left brains are very logical. They like probability. They like science. They like hypothesis testing. Those, you know. They're very, they're engineers, you know, they're, yeah. they're keyed into it, mathematicians, you know. Yeah. The right brains are, you know, the real creative ones and, you know, and they tend to believe that there are gurus out there that mm -hmm. can make good decisions, even though there's $650 billion being traded every day, you know, but they yeah. believe that there's somebody that can do that. So mm -hmm. as you can imagine, our, our client base is almost predominantly, is predominantly left brain. Mm -hmm. The right brainers scream and yell and leave. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. They don't like our You don't approach. keep them around very long. <laughs> well, they don't like the approach. It's not that yeah. we, we love them and we work yeah. with them forever. Absolutely. To, but they don't like us. Yep. Yep. All right. I'm going to end on the note of, you know, bring out your crystal ball. Um or your snow globe, whichever one, yes, whichever one you're using today. <laughs> I think you're going to use the snow globe. I think you're definitely going to take that one with you. Um, you know, where where do you see the economy going in 2024? 
you know, I mean, there are so many macroeconomic things happening that point to a recession. Mm-hmm. And the fact that nobody wants to say we're in one is not necessarily doesn't necessarily mean there isn't one going on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, credit card debt is up, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, automobile loans, you know, are being foreclosed on. They're taking those back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, housing starts are down, you know, not as much as you might think that they're down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the liquidity is flowing into the market to try and keep the market propped up. I mean, everywhere you look, there there is not very much good news mm-hmm. uh, relative to the economy. So I I have to think that it's going to take an election, you know, to mm-hmm. either change the course yep. or, you know, to re, recenter where the, the country should be going. Yeah. So I would say we're probably going to be struggling for another six to nine months before maybe the election medicine starts to take mm-hmm. over a little kick bit in. yeah uh, kick in uh you know for the you know the iver the uh, headache mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the aspirin but yeah. um so i you know i i think it's going to be a, an interesting ride for the next six to nine months okay if anybody out there is looking for an RIA, looking for somebody that can do um, an evaluation of, of where you are currently, where you want to be in the future, um, kind of like Guy was saying, layering on all the components um, that go into determining what the the it factor number is, um, how do they get a hold of you, Guy? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I guess go to our website, uh, yeah. Wealth Team Alliance. Uh, you know, it's, it's wealth-team.com. And, uh, you know, it's easy to find us. The phone number's on there and the emails are on there. And, you know, we're we're happy to talk to anybody and see if there's a way that we can help them. Great. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. It's been a fun conversation and appreciate the opportunity to visit. Absolutely. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of PTC Point of View, where retirement savers meet alternative investments. Know someone who's struggling with their retirement strategy? Tell them about our show. Can't wait for the next episode to learn more? Visit our website at preferredtrustcompany.com or give us a call at 888-990-7892.